This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everyone. So tonight, we're going to 1980, November 12th, so just a couple of weeks from Thanksgiving. We're on the east side of Columbus, on Fulton Street, at a home where a young family is starting their day. 23-year-old Lynn Vest is a new mother. She used to work as an assistant for a dentist in Reynoldsburg, but now she is totally focused on her family. She and her husband, Dennis, have a one-year-old son, Shane, but five days a week, their little family grows by one. That's because Lynn also looks after her two-and-a-half-year-old nephew, Jeremy Pickens, while his parents work. On this day, Lynn pulls some chicken from the freezer to thaw for dinner, then sits down to watch a rerun of The Love Boat. When the show is over, so is her break. She has errands to run. Baby Shane is cranky, so she puts him down for a nap. Dennis is home, so he can look after him. But she'll take Jeremy with her. She tugs on his little blue jean jacket, grabs her purse and the car keys, and kisses her husband as she heads out. Lynn and Jeremy are taking the couple's only car, a nearly new 1979 sky blue Mustang Cobra hatchback, a sporty little car that could turn heads back in the day. It was a little after 11 a.m., Lynn's first stop was at the Ohio State Bank, a few blocks away at the Great Eastern Shopping Center at Hamilton Road and Main Street. She used the drive through to deposit a couple of checks. She continued to the nearby Save Mart to get gas and check the air in her tires. Then Lynn and Jeremy went into a nearby Woolco discount store on East Broad Street, where Lynn wanted to pick up a shower curtain and she treated Jeremy to a red fruit punch. Back home, Dennis Vest was getting ready for work. He was second shift at an air freight facility at the Port Columbus Airport. Lynn knew he needed the car, so as the hours passed, Dennis was getting nervous. It was so unlike her to be running late. 
So unlike her, he didn't waste any time. He knew exactly who to call. Lynn's dad was a 17-year veteran of the Columbus Police Force and a detective in its burglary division. Don Hokulee was at police headquarters when his son-in-law called. Hokulee knew police typically waited 24 hours before starting a search for a missing adult, and a clerk at the station reminded him. But Don wouldn't take no for an answer. He went to the department's juvenile bureau, those are the folks who typically handle missing persons cases, and told them if the oldest of his three daughters didn't make it home when she was expected, then something was very wrong. At 4.30 p.m., Lynn Vest and Jeremy Pickens were officially missing persons, and Don himself called the police departments of every surrounding suburb, as well as the Franklin County Sheriff's Office, to pass on the report. Jeremy's mom, Cheryl Pickens, didn't know her son was missing when she pulled onto Fulton Street and saw her sister's driveway full of cars. But she had a mother's instinct, and she knew something was wrong, and after she parked, she ran inside. Cheryl was pregnant with her second child and had dropped Jeremy off that morning, same as every weekday. She left him with a kiss. He left her with an, I love you, Mommy. The family didn't call her at work because they didn't want her to worry. Maybe there was a good reason Lynn was late. And so Cheryl joined the unbearable vigil as the hours passed. It was just before midnight when a Columbus police sergeant arrived at the Vest home to share the grim news. Two officers had spotted the distinctive Mustang Cobra in the back of a parking lot at the corner of Berkeley Road and East Main Street. They shined a flashlight into the car and found the bodies of Lynn and Jeremy, a white sheet and a towel tossed over them. The Franklin County coroner will determine that Lynn had been strangled by a thin rope wrapped twice around her neck. They didn't have the rope but they had the two indentations it left behind. Bruises on Jeremy suggested he might have been strangled by hand or was smothered. Four years ago, the Columbus Dispatch interviewed the family and the detectives about the case, which is now 40 years unsolved. Detective Bill Gillette shared his frustration and even disbelief that this kind of thing could happen. He said, I can't imagine that anybody could do this in broad daylight and nobody sees anything. How can a woman and a baby be taken from the street and killed and no one knows how that happened? Well, nobody saw the murders happen, but there were quite a few witnesses to little pieces of this story. People who came forward with information back when the story was making headlines. One woman in particular may have seen the start of the trouble. She was at the Save Mart where Lynn and Jeremy had stopped for gas around noon that day. The Save Mart was at Hamilton Road and East Main Street, eight blocks from the Vest's home. She saw Lynn putting air in the Mustang's tires and two men talking to her. One of the men was leaning on a white car. From the witness's perspective, it didn't look like the woman was comfortable with the two men. She was shaking her head no, and the men looked like they were growing increasingly aggressive. 
the witness said she herself got nervous and just drove away. Investigators wondered if she unconsciously knew more that would be helpful, and she agreed to undergo hypnosis three times, but she wasn't able to add much more to her original story. In 1980, cameras weren't as prevalent as now. There was no video from area businesses to shed light on what had happened. But because that Mustang Cobra was such a distinctive-looking sports car, eyes were on it, and others came forward. One man said he was eating lunch at a restaurant at James Road and Main Street when he saw the car lurching past as if the driver didn't quite know how to drive it. He said the car's driver was a man and that a woman was in the passenger seat. Another woman also saw that car just south of the Woolco store where Lynn and Jeremy had been shopping sometime between noon and one. She also saw a man behind the wheel and a woman slumped against the window. And one more witness, this one, the bookend to whatever had transpired. A couple living in an apartment next to the parking lot where the Cobra was found said they saw a man pull the car into the lot, get out, and hop into a white car. If you'll recall, the witness from Save More said the two men talking to Lynn had a white car. Since Lynn and Jeremy made it from the Save More to the Woolco, police think that that's probably where the pair was attacked and kidnapped forced to go somewhere else where they were ultimately slain. 20 of the department's crime solvers were assigned full-time to this case. Over the years, there were a couple of prime suspects that rose to the top, but they were cleared ultimately. Detectives briefly looked into the idea that maybe there was a serial killer at work and once even exchanged info with Texas authorities about a man they were holding prisoner but they all led to dead ends. Investigators poured over that Mustang looking for evidence, and they learned something really interesting. It had been wiped clean, every inch of it. Even Lynn's own fingerprints were nowhere to be found. Detectives recovered a single hair and DNA evidence from two different men. Now, Lynn wasn't raped, and the reporting on this case never explained where the DNA came from. But wherever it came from, it may yet solve this case. Detective Gillette told the Columbus Dispatch that he developed a few leads on potential suspects. And then just last year, police announced they were working with a company called Advanced DNA to try and track the killers through their families. It's the first time Columbus police are using modern familial DNA technology. Even then, there are some parts to this story we may never know. We don't know where Lynn and Jeremy were killed. There must be another crime scene somewhere between that Woolco and the parking lot where the car was found. Police didn't think they were killed in the car because there were no signs any struggle had taken place. But there were also no indications Lynn had ever been on the ground. There was no dirt on her clothing, no stains, no foreign material to hint at where she might have been. And the motive 
The motive is still in question. Police are puzzled. Why would robbers force the victims into the car, drive them somewhere, kill them, put the bodies back into the car, wipe the fingerprints from it, and then abandon the car in another location? Why snuff out the life of a two-year-old who certainly wasn't going to be much help in identifying them? He only knew a handful of words. Lynn's purse, its contents of perhaps $100, and her wedding rings were never found. Maybe her killers saw her at the bank, her first stop of the morning, and followed her, thinking she was flush with cash. As a burglary detective, Don Hokuley said he knew robbers prowled parking lots waiting for easy marks, like women and babies. Some wondered if the sports car drew attention to her. It was a two-door with an air scoop on the hood and Cobra written in white letters on the sides. The couple kept it clean and waxed and in showroom condition. Maybe that led a killer to assume the driver had money. But it still doesn't explain how a simple robbery would turn into a double homicide in a busy area, by stores, in the broad light of day. Lynn's dad, Don, said the rest of his career on the force every time he made an arrest or interrogated a suspect. He couldn't help but wonder, was it you? In that 2016 Columbus Dispatch interview, Don Hokuley said it was probably a good thing the killers weren't caught right away, maybe even divine interference to protect him, because he used to spend a good deal of time planning in his mind what he would do to the men who took his daughter and grandson, even how he would get rid of them. Cheryl, Jeremy's mom, said so much time has passed and the DNA has never hit anything in the National CODIS database. She wonders if that's a hint that maybe the killers are already dead. Don said even if that's the case, he wants to know who they are, though he knows it won't bring him peace. He still wonders what Jeremy would be doing today if he were alive. Would he be married with kids of his own? No, knowing the killer's names would just be the end of a chapter, he said. The only closure will be in my coffin when they close that lid, he said. Now, I found a couple of interesting side notes to the story. Two days after Lynn and Jeremy were killed, police wondered if the killers had struck again. On November 10, a woman was abducted just after noon at the Kmart store parking lot on West Broad Street. Now, that was on the west side of Columbus. But she was young, 20 years old, and arriving for work at the Kmart when she got out of her parked car and was approached by a man with a gun. He mumbled something about how his boss was looking for young girls, then pointed to the gun in his waistband and forced her into the car. The gunman drove the victim's car east on Broad Street, and for the next 45 minutes, he talked incoherently. At one point, the woman started crying, begging for her life, and that angered her abductor, who struck her in the face with his pistol. Then, when they reached downtown Columbus at Broad and High Streets, he suddenly pulled over, took about $100 and some credit cards off of her, and fled the car. 
The victim spotted a police cruiser but couldn't get his attention, so she drove her car back to Kmart and called police. One final note. Three years after the murders of Lynn Vest and Jeremy Pickens, someone tried to use Lynn's missing credit card to buy tickets over the telephone for a concert at the Ohio Center. The bank quickly contacted detectives, but since the ticket outlet was stopped from processing the sale, there was no way to follow the trail to those would-be concert goers. Detectives sure would have loved to have shown up at that concert to see who was sitting in those seats. Anyway, in the case of Lynn and Jeremy, Central Ohio Crime Stoppers is offering up to $5,000 for information leading to an arrest and conviction in this case. Tips can be submitted anonymously online at stopcrime.org, or you can call Crime Stoppers at 614-461-8477. Well, that's it for our midweek 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-sized Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week, and may all of your mysteries have happy endings. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of the new Medal of Honor podcast from Evergreen Podcasts, brought to you in partnership with the National Medal of Honor Museum. In each three-minute episode, we'll learn about a different service member who distinguished him or herself through an act of valor. We'll include stories from the Civil War to Iraq and Afghanistan, and from all branches of the military. We'll talk about service members who were overlooked for the medal at first due to their race or religion, and about those who were celebrated at the time. We'll hear stories of soldiers like Audie Murphy, future Hollywood star who mounted a burning tank to hold off German infantry in World War II. And people like Dr. Mary Edwards Walker, a Civil War Army doctor and the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor so far. Learn about these heroes and more wherever you get your podcasts.